Get out the insurance cards, get out the co-pays. The office is open, my friends. Brought to you by DrRoto.com. Hello again and welcome into yet another episode of the Pros with Joe's podcast. I hope all the leftovers are out of your fridge by now because we've got some league leftovers from last week and are ready to feed you some hot insights about the upcoming week of fantasy football. Per the usual, I'm your host, John Dansby, and with me as always is my fantasy navigator, co-founder of the league, Mr. Eric Romoff. Eric, We've had a couple of weeks to digest everything that was, and I, I guess we need to talk about week 14 in the league this week. Uh, playoffs start next week, believe it or not, and uh, we do know of at least a few that have punched a ticket into bonus league play. Anything else you have on your mind, partner? Yeah, I mean, just looking at week 13, the week that was in the NFL, uh, a lot of really exciting games, a lot of games, especially in that afternoon block that came down to the waning seconds of regulation before deciding a winner. And, and really, you know, this time of year, the theme is a lot of games have playoff implications, right? And art imitates life here as we take and turn our, our eye towards the charity league in in week 13, we saw several teams uh, punch their ticket. As you put it, we got team King team Claskins, our very own Jay Felicio joining us at the beginning of the season, all punched their ticket and now rolling the clock forward for our last regular season week. Plenty of, of scenarios and circumstances that have to play out. We've got a few win and yep. in situations. We've got a couple of teams that need to win and get a little bit of help. Uh, as a reminder, all of our division winners get in and we have two wild card berths up for grabs based on total points. So as we currently sit here, uh, five of our eight playoff teams are uh, are still to be determined. So it should lead to a ton of fun in the charity league in week 14. Yeah. And I, I keep, you know, revisiting the pizza league and uh, to keep with the, the, the food puns, uh, this one really, really is a toss up. Um, and I, I, I hate to use that, but I mean, you've got three teams in the Chicago division sitting at, at nine and four. Uh, so it's, it's going to be an exciting finish for the regular season. And, uh, I think there's going to be quite a few that are, uh, left out and a little bit sad. The season is over for them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and of the, that lot of, of three, Sitting at nine and four, I believe two of them are facing off this week, right? So um, uh, should have yeah. a pretty clear picture out of those two, um, and then depending on uh, what the odd odd man out team Linda does in uh, in her matchup, will ultimately determine the fate of the Chicago division. Which, oddly enough, if you would have prepared a better pun, is the only type of pizza that doesn't get tossed. So I need you to I need you to come better next week, please. Yeah, that uh, yeah. Apologies to uh, all my Chicago brethren out there. Uh, it's it's a a deep pie of a situation uh, in the Chicago division. So uh, many, yeah, but many layers anyway, to this hand lasagna. The uh, the Linda and Harmon matchup, I I think is going to be uh, probably the. The matchup to watch to me, uh, you know, obviously whoever wins that one is in. Um, but then you've got Jeff Kluge right behind that, you know, if he wins, creates some uh, some situations here with, with you know, head-to-head matchups and, and division wins and, and all of that. So, um, yeah, it'll be exciting to watch, and uh, we'll, we'll see how it plays out, huh? Yeah, I love it. Love it when it comes down to the wire like this. Yeah. Uh, so moving on to to the NFL world of, of news, uh, surprise, surprise. Uh, there's lots of uh, lots of the vid making its way around the league out there. Uh, it's impacting a few fantasy uh, players out there. Uh, Mike Williams is in protocol. Mark Ingram uh, has has he been ruled out or is he still in in protocol? And then you've got. Uh, I don't think he's technically been ruled out yet. No. Okay. 
And then uh, David Njoko uh, is is a new one to the to the COVID protocol, so he's probably out. Uh, I, I, you know, what do you think? Do you think we're uh, we're kind of hitting a a spell where we're going to see more of this, or our team's going to be a little more cautious as they approach the playoffs and uh, the playoffs of their own? Um, are are they going to be more reluctant to give their players? the the freedom that that they may be used to yeah i I think it really depends on kind of a a team by team basis in terms of how they're going to handle it i know that the nfl um rolled out some uh more restrictive or tight uh protocols and practices following the thanksgiving holiday um i don't know how many uh mega nerds there are out there like me but if you've been watching the post-game press conferences and the post-practice press availabilities uh, over these last few weeks, you'll see more and more players wearing masks during uh, during those press avails. So that is part of the enhanced protocol that the NFL rolled out during the season. You know, I, I haven't seen any reporting in terms of teams, uh, you know, kind of tightening down on um, you know travel or uh, what players do in in their free time, um, but ultimately I think this is you know kind of par for the course, right? Like we're heading into the winter months. Um, our population as a whole is further and further away from their vaccination dates. We're inside more often. We're around more people. You know, friends and family gathering for holidays and what have you. So I, I think we're going to see more more players end up on this list. And to kind of take it back to the top, a lot of big-name guys got got hit with the whammy this week, right? And and the implications are are real, both in, you know, in terms of on-field performance and play, but also the implications on the fantasy side, right? We've got a Chargers team that might be without both of their starting wide receivers. Uh, yep. Mark Ingram was, you know, set to kind of, uh, you know, slide back into his uh, change of pace role with the Saints, and now it looks like he's very likely to be unavailable. So the the ripples yeah. really expand out a good bit with you know just a, a couple of guys ending up on the list. Yeah, and uh, that's unfortunate, and I, I I tend to agree with you. I think we're going to see uh, more of that. Hopefully, it won't impact fantasy any more than than these bye weeks. Are, are gonna already wreak havoc on but uh you know moving on we've got alvin kamara kamara uh coming back against the jets this weekend um being that he's had a few weeks off due to injury we've got a jets team do you envision him going full strength and, and getting the his his regular uh workload this week or are they going to kind of see how he he responds I mean, I I do now, right? Um, you know, there there was some consideration for him losing, you know, a quarter, a fifth or so of touches to Mark Ingram, but it looks like Ingram is not going to be available, so it should be full steam ahead for Alvin Kamara. Uh, he he gets the ultimate get right spot uh, lining up against the Jets, who are yeah. allowing I think it's like thirty six fantasy points per game to opposing running backs. Um, so a lot of things to like about Kamara, a story that I think is kind of going, you know, underreported or, or not getting as much attention as it's due is a month or so ago when there was speculation that Taysom Hill was going to take over that starting quarterback job, uh, that eventually ended up going to Trevor Simeon. There was a lot of concern about Hill's impact on Kamara's role in the red zone. Um, you know, now that has come to pass, Hill started last Thursday night and looked uh, you know, pretty pedestrian out there. Uh, but I'm, I'm not hearing a whole lot of chatter about uh, his, his impact on Kamara's red zone role. So, you know, I, I think it should be a situation where Kamara is going to see a good amount of volume. And anytime you get a player that dynamic um, touching the ball, you know, uh, 18, 20, 22 times, he can, he can obviously break one at, at any given point. But I do think if, you know, they find themselves in a short yardage situation where we're going to be back to a lot of the same with, you know, a little bit of trickery 
coming out of the backfield with, you know, Taysom either uh, running the ball himself or maybe splitting out to the slot and catching a pass. Um, and, and that obviously bites into some of the upside that Camaro has to bring in week 14. Yeah. And I, I, I like that. Um, and it, if you got to pick a team to come back against, uh, I think the Jets is probably the number one team I'd pick. Um, maybe the Lions. I don't <laughs> But uh, maybe not after last week. But uh, uh, staying up north, though, Justin Fields is back for the Bears this week. Um, going up to Lambeau to face a team that is uh, also an owner of the Bears uh, in Aaron, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, what does that mean for the Bears with, you know, Allen Robinson still not being a Rob and also questionable this week? Uh, do you see Justin making a big impact coming back or, or is, is this just kind of he's healthy, let's start him kind of situation? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's it's one of those tough situations, right? Like, Justin Fields being available and starting for the Bears should be something that uh, has the entire offense, you know, pointing up. Um, but in the couple of starts that we've seen him trot out there this year, uh, the coaching staff and Matt Nagy have used him in the absolute worst and least efficient way possible, right? So, yeah, um, you know, even being a few games into his young career we can pretty flatly say that he is the high tide that raises all boats uh, uh, relative to Andy Dalton, right? Like he is, he is flatly <laughs> yeah. a better quarterback than Dalton is. Yeah. But if, if Nagy is going to scheme up a game plan that looks like a, you know, kind of pedestrian, um, you know, uh, not, not particularly strong armed immobile quarterbacks game plan for, this very dynamic and athletic Justin Fields, like he's not going to fit well into that and he's not going to look good, right? So, um, you know, ultimately I, I don't think that Matt Nagy is all of a sudden going to, you know, stop doing dumb shit on the field and, you know, use Fields in a uh, in a reasonable fashion. So don't have exactly high hopes. You know, Darnell Mooney really started to come on uh, a few weeks back when Fields got in, his start. In flashes, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it looks like Robinson is questionable. He missed the last two games, so um, you know maybe he gets back out there. So uh, a story to watch. If if he's not going, then you know uh, Mooney almost becomes the de facto uh, yeah. uh, pass catcher there in Chicago. So there'll be a little bit of value to that, but I don't expect this high flying offense or anything that looks close to it in the game against the Packers that have owned the Bears. And now it looks like the Packers might get Jair Alexander back to, you know, strengthen that defensive backfield even further. Yeah. So, uh, you know, obviously I'm, I'm a little biased, uh, but do you, do you think Nagy's game scheming for his job at this point? I mean, I, I, mean, I, I know you, you agree that he's misused Justin Fields. Is, is that going to play into a, a long-term picture for, for the bears in the, in the front office. Yeah. I mean, he, he should be right. Like um, I'm, I'm not sure exactly how this came to pass. It was, it was one of the weirder things that came out of the, uh, out of the, the football weekend to the football week around Thanksgiving was that there was reporting, seemingly credible reporting that indicated that the Thanksgiving day game was going to be Matt Nagy's last as the head coach of the bears um, and they kind of pulled the okie doke and said, "Never mind. Um, you know that that report is false. We're going to hang on to him." Um, so, you know, generally where there's smoke, there's fire. I don't see why uh, this ownership group or this front office would want to keep Nagy on staff. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you know, if you think about what he's done over the last few years, he has to be considering uh, every game as kind of a must-win scenario if he wants to somehow hold on to his his head coach position yeah agreed um you know at this at this point i guess we need to talk about uh 
what went on in the waivers this week. Uh, not shockingly, uh, nothing too dramatic in in the waivers. Uh, as we, as, you know, most teams are either in cruise control at this point or kind of have started to look to the off season. Um, there were a few acquisitions of, of note this week, but uh, what what really stuck out to you the most this week? Yeah, yeah, there were there were a couple of things. Uh, the first thing that that really jumped out to me is uh, looking over at our, uh, our our best value, and in my point of view, that is flatly Team Cooterdoodle going out and acquiring Jamichael Hasty for three dollars, right? Um, Nailed it. <laughs> the the San Francisco running back situation is always a bit murky, um, but what we know about that team is that they want to have a heavy involvement of the ground game. Yeah. And right now it looks like Hasty might be the only healthy body there, right? Um, at minimum, you know, even if Eli Mitchell is able to play, he's dealing with a concussion and I believe a knee sprain, even if Mitchell ends up going this week, Hasty is uh, certainly has the inside track for that third down roll, which carries some value for it. And yeah. you know, Cooter Doodle is very much so in in the hunt for a playoff spot, and in a fourteen team conference, you know, very much so. Hasty is a player that she can plug in right off the bat and have an impact on her week fourteen outlook. Yeah, I believe that. Uh... She is one of our win and in uh, in in her division. So, um, yeah, I I agree. That was a, a great pickup, and it's it's really kind of been fascinating to watch how uh, the the stable of running backs that San Francisco have used this season of just like next player up, next player up, and you know I've loved watching it. Um, but yeah, I think Hasty for three dollars. Why not? That's that's a steal. Yeah, and I mean to that point, right? Like these aren't uh, you know a, a bunch of Heisman winners or or thoroughbreds they have back there, right? Like a lot of these are replacement level guys. But in the yeah. Shanahan system, if you're going to get significant touches, you're going to carry value. So definitely think yep. it's it's a sharp get. Um, you know, taking a look at. Uh, our next category, that is our busy bee, and easily the busiest of bees this week is actually a J. It was Jeff Erickson. Um, looking at his bid groups, it feels like the, the page just continues to scroll on and on and on. Um, you know, all told, Jeff actually only went out and acquired two new players. He acquired the services of Rashad Penny and Sammy Watkins. For three and four dollars, respectively, um, you know, very much so dart throws. Right, Watkins is kind of a touchdown or bust player. Yeah. Rashad Penny is easily the most uh, skilled and capable running back in Seattle, but it's a Seattle running back room that includes Adrian Peterson for some reason. Alex Collins is still kicking around up there, um, so you know, certainly an, an upside play. But beyond that, you know, Jeff himself had several other bids in there for players that, um, you know, he would have acquired had he not picked up those first two. So definitely a good job on on Jeff's side by, you know, working this wire in the last week and, and trying to add a couple of difference makers and, and dart throws in the last week of the regular season. Yeah, you know when I was when I was looking at at the the waiver report, uh, I was I noticed like you said it just seems like it goes on for pages and pages, and I just noticed all of his bits were like three four three four four three, and I'm like these you know what's he doing? And then I looked at how much uh, Fabby had left. I think he has what eighteen dollars out of a thousand left. Uh, so he, he has been active to say the least. And, uh, you know, he's going out in style this week. Uh, unfortunately he will not be in contention for the playoffs, but, uh, Hey, keep on trucking, man. Make those moves get better. Yeah. I mean, look, it, it looks like he's going to come up a little bit short this season, but 
ultimately, like I, I appreciate the fact that just playing it out to the whistle here, right? Like I, yep. I, I personally hate it when there are lame duck teams or there are playoff implications that are decided by a team going against an opponent who doesn't have a full roster, right? So yeah, definitely appreciate Jeff playing to the whistle, but also I, I think it's something that we can kind of model after, right? Like oh, yeah. you have a thousand dollars in budget. And Jeff is, uh, you know, easily the closest to zero out of everyone in the league. Yeah, and he hasn't so, been, yeah. he hasn't been taking these big cuts, right? Like he's going out there and he's speculating and just churning the back of his bench to see if he can get a guy on the cheap that's going to hit. Um, and I, I think that that's that's a really sharp strategy in terms of you know how to manage player acquisition in one of these high stakes leagues. Yeah, he's just he's just sitting at the the slot machine pulling the handle, and you know, it it's gonna hit. So uh, it it didn't didn't work out as as uh, as I think he'd hoped, but uh, you know, I love it. Yeah, I love I love playing to the whistle, like you said, and uh, hopefully he gets that that win to walk away with this week. But uh, yeah, yeah, and and conversely, if 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 Jeff Erickson is is taking the um, the little bets approach, the uh, polar opposite of that approach are our big spenders. Um, we had two this week. They were both on the exact same player. Um, we had Team Doc, Doctor Roto, as well as Team Calandro go out and acquire the services of KJ Osborne for the Minnesota Vikings. Doc spent a little over two hundred dollars. Uh, Team Calandro spent $275. Obviously, Adam Thielen has been ruled out for their Thursday night game. And in the case of Team Calandro, he is one of the teams that is still in the mix for a playoff spot. And he now gets to plug in KJ Osborne in his week 14 matchup against actually our guests to come here. All right, we're excited to welcome in our guest tonight, Mr. Jeff Bell of the very great Fantasy Pros and the Debbie Royale Show. As we mentioned earlier, with a win this weekend or a little help, he'll be joining the Elite Eight next week in the first round of the playoffs. Jeff, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much for having me on. This tournament has been fantastic. My fingers crossed that it's not going to be my last weekend because I've kind of been riding in first place for a good portion of the season. So I just need to bring it home strong. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm looking at these records right now and, you know, it's hard to imagine that, you know, at sitting at 10 and three, you're, you're needing a win to get into the playoffs, but you know, that's how, how the division fell out this, this year. So it'll be exciting to see how it goes, but uh, first to get us started. Why don't you tell us how you heard about the pros with Joe's and, and what charity you're supporting this year and and what that means to you. Sure. I, I heard about pros with Joe's last summer, like kind of in when drafts were happening, I, I heard about the fundraising efforts that were going on and, and attempted to get in and play with somebody, you know, some of the fantastic names that are willing to give their time and be involved in the tournament. And so on my radar and then I talked to Eric in the spring and, and he kind of said, is this something you'd want to do? And I said, absolutely. I would love to. And so thankful to be involved there. My charity is nationwide children's hospital here in Columbus, Ohio. It's just been, you know, I've got, I've got coworkers, I've got friends whose the lives have been changed, been helped by the nationwide children's hospital, you know, kids have cancer and things like that. And this, this is a world-class facility that fortunately is right in my backyard. And so just seeing the local stories and, and not only that, but knowing how far people are traveling to come to this hospital. And that's kind of why it just struck a chord, you know, being a father of three that anytime you can give back to families and, and help with those types of areas. Yeah, I was going to say that uh, that's that's a really cool hospital uh, facility there because I I mean even down in Texas I've heard of of you know sick kids having to fly to to Columbus to do that and you know I think a lot of it is so cool that in a lot of ways in a lot of different I guess uh, situations they bring their families with them and so that's that's cool that you're raising money with uh, for them and and 
good luck raising more. Thank you very much. Yeah, the Ron McDonald House has a house right across the street that families can stay in. And it's just one of those that it, people travel. Yeah, you're exactly right. You know, you hear about it in Texas. And, and yeah. so um, having it be local, it's just it try to help out however you can. Yeah, and the uh, the thing that I've always heard about nationwide children's is is really just the the amount of of research they're able to get done there, you know, on yes. site, and how people are able to go and get and receive treatments there that they can literally get nowhere else in the world, right? So yeah, certainly a, a phenomenal cause. Uh, definitely can appreciate the the hometown aspect of it. Um, I guess maybe kind of you know zooming in a bit more to the league itself. We mentioned at the top. This is your first year in Pros with Joe's. We're super excited to have you uh, on board and, and appreciate your support all throughout the season. I'm wondering if, if maybe you can tell us a bit more about your experience. Do you have any funny stories about playing alongside with your co-manager or any memories that stick out about the experience in particular? It was one of those that um, when you told me the name, I knew exactly who it was, but I didn't know him because he's um, he's in my home league. It's Matt Ray Raby is his name, and he's in my home league, but he's a friend of a friend. He's my actually my brother in law's best friend, and my brother in law is <laughs> seven years younger than me. And so we started Dynasty last year, and he was one of the ones that filled it out. So I played with him once before last year in, in our home Dynasty league, but he's the type of guy who doesn't say a lot. And so I hadn't talked to him prior to the lead up to the draft and going through the draft process. And so just being able to, you know, bridge that gap and and learn and and meet somebody new that I knew, but I didn't really know, and and so yeah. and I think that that's one of the things that is great about the way that you pair up through this, um, you know, people that you you know each other but you don't really know each other, and, and being able to build a team together, work together, and do those type of things, I think it's just a great. Um, bonding experience and and so it's just a, another great aspect to this tournament that's awesome so as as he um has he come out of his shell a little bit is he a little bit more chatty now not really no <laughs> okay. you know that's no, just him yeah i think so well uh, i guess that kind of gives us a, a little transition to uh to let you talk a little bit about the team this year uh was this your first all flex draft and and how did that work into your draft strategy it was my first all flex draft and so um that strategy i'm somebody that i kind of like the zero rb approach anyways in looking at team building and so yep. when i did the draft i ended up with one what i thought was elite running back with my first pick when i took ezekiel elliott that hasn't exactly turned <laughs> out that way um, but the rest of the, the roster, I just loaded up on pass catchers. And then, you know, I swung for upside. Um, Jalen Waddle is probably Jalen Waddle and Mike Williams are probably the two reasons why I've had a decent amount of success with this team hitting on those later picks with what they've they've been able to deliver. Because the reality is one of my other studs, DK Metcalf, he has gone belly up over the second half of the season. Yeah, and I, I don't think anybody's going to fault you for uh thinking differently about Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, that was just kind of a, a strange occurrence this year. Yeah, it was. And and that came out of the blue. Uh, yeah, it was one of those that Pollard was there, but it's not even like Pollard's taking the job. It's just that he's, no. he's just not Ze Ezekiel Elliott anymore. And, you know, yeah. we see that with players and he's still, he's kind of transitioned to the point where he's almost a better NFL running back than a fantasy running back, because we know he's very smart with blitz pickup and we know he's a great safety valve out of the backfield, those type of little things that go into playing running back. But it's, it's pretty clear that he just doesn't have the juice anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I almost, I would almost prefer that we were in a spot where we were talking about how Pollard did take over that backfield for a few weeks so that we could get, healthy Zeke down, you know, for, for the stretch. Um, but, you know, taking a look at your roster, you mentioned a few guys by name, you mentioned Mike Williams and, and Jalen Waddle. And I think what's interesting about that pairing is, you know, how their, their arcs have kind of played out through the season, right? Williams was very much so carrying you through the first four or five weeks. And right as he started to tail off is when Waddle came on. And at least, you know, from my point of view, 
that that is a big part of why you have kind of the inside track to the playoffs this year, right? You've got uh, the best record in your division. Um, you can also potentially have a points advantage uh, if you get if you have a big week and uh, you know happen to lose still. Um, so you know very much so you've put yourself in in a good position to make the playoffs. Where I'm curious is maybe kind of uh, you know looking forward a little bit, right? Um, it, are, are there things that you do in particular to kind of set your team up for a playoff run, or you know anything that you do differently with your roster, or just how you think about your team once you've clinched a playoff spot? In in a normal redraft setup where like I'm starting two running backs, two wide receivers, one flex, that type of setup, or you know three wide receivers, typically I'm the type that I don't like to have extra wide receivers on my roster. That's kind of it's almost the exact opposite with the way that I've built this team, and so that's why it's pretty random. Um, but usually, if I'm trying to fill running back spots, I want to backload with as many handcuff running backs as I possibly can because I don't assume somebody like LaVisca Chenault anymore is going to step into any sort of volume. And, you know, Kenny Galladay is like near impossible to cut because it's just, you know, that it's Kenny Galladay, but it's just one of those that you don't think he's going to get any consistent performance at any point this season. So kind of moving on those type of guys that have disappointed you all season long, if depending on where you drafted them and just loading up on running backs that could step in because we, that's, we see it every year in December where either a team is out of it and they allow their stud running back to sit because there's just not anything on the line or a guy is a little bit banged up getting ready for the playoffs. And so the team might be a little bit more conservative there. These guys just come out of nowhere. I think it was week 16, 17 last year that Samaje P. Ryan just came out of nowhere when it felt like Bernard was the Bengals back and got to grab as many as you can. Yeah, I think what's, um, you know, particularly of note with that strategy is, you know, apart from a couple of notable outliers, right, a, a Michael Gallup type, the idea of handcuffing a wide receiver isn't really um, uh, an equivalent concept to handcuffing a running back. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I definitely love that strategy. And I've been taking a similar tack, uh, basically just adding and stacking up every single handcuff that I can. I actually <clears throat> started a, uh, uh, a new dynasty league around this time last year. And I thought I was in rebuild mode, but with my uh, ample bench space, just started adding everybody's handcuffs that were available. And now all of a sudden I'm in the middle of the playoff run, right? So um, just the slightest bit of opportunity with those guys can really go a long way. Yeah, I had a dynasty team that I, I ended up, I thought I drafted zero, zero RB and zero running back, and I ended up with Daryl Henderson and Damian Harris and um, Chase Edmonds and, and uh, Cordero Patterson late, and it was like I just fell into, okay, all the, the running backs yeah. and you're loaded at every other position already, so – that's that's worked out pretty well. Yeah, I'm, I'm relatively new to the dynasty format, and at least a few seasons in, I can say there's been no greater joy than thinking I was going to be trading off for a rebuild a few weeks in, and all of a sudden now stacking to try to make a run. Just the the flip of that switch has, has been a fun ride. That's what I I had one team last year I drafted and it just didn't didn't feel right coming out of the day. It was my very first ever startup draft and um, I I decided that I was going to do a productive struggle once I kind of the dust settled and I saw what my team was. I flipped everything for picks and I got the 101 in the in the rookie draft and now this year I, I had so many picks and I was able to do some consolidation trades to pick up some players and I'm sitting at nine and, and at 10 and three and i've like clinched the number one seed in the league in one year turning around can't beat it <laughs> so jeff heading into to week 14 we've we've got an interesting matchup on thursday night uh we've got vikings and steelers uh anything that you're watching or uh matchups that you like I, I think we mentioned Big Ben is, is expected back, but other than that big headline. Yeah, I mean, the, the headline I think we're all watching right now is whether or not Dalvin Cook is going to play. Adam Thieline is out, so is that going to open up K.J. Osborne for more, more production, or is everything just going to go through Justin Jefferson? Justin Jefferson, it seems like the team has 
dedicated themselves to getting him the ball, and he's really come on the last couple of weeks. And so you would expect to see more of that. So it's one of these that, you know, being a Bills fan and, and seeing the Monday night game and seeing the exact lack of any sort of fantasy fun at all in that game. Yeah, uh, um, it'll, it'll be nice to get a couple fantasy loaded up teams here on Thursday night football. Yeah, you, you mentioned Dal Cook being the, the player to watch in terms of availability. Um, do you have any sort of read on the situation? I, I guess maybe, you know, kind of looking past tomorrow's game and, and you know, any thoughts on Dal uh, looking towards the rest of the season? Well, I mean, his legal situation is seems interesting. I, I don't know. I know Drew Delaware had a whole um, big tweet thread on it, but I haven't been able to get to read through it yet. Um, I think we're all kind of waiting to see if there's anything that comes out of that. It, it's uh, it, it almost feels like when he got hurt, they were pretty quickly announced that he was going to be out two weeks. Now, all of a sudden, he's pushing to be able to play. Obviously, last week they lost to the Lions, and I can't imagine they expected to lose that game. And so it's one of those that it, as the playoffs get a little bit tighter and you do drop that Lions game, you you guys going to be feel a little bit more aggressive to go out there and play, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Looking at, at the other side of the ball, um, you know, Najee Harris remains a, a volume monster, but over his last three weeks, the you know his, his yards per carry has really started to tail off. Do you think that this is kind of a product of opposing defenses adjusting towards uh, defending Najee, or do you think it's maybe the this this offensive line kind of coming back to earth a little bit from their at least better than expected play earlier in the season? I think it's a really a perfect storm. I, I think that. You look back two years ago, and that's kind of when it felt like the book got writ- written on Big Ben a little bit when the Steelers started out so well, and then they really kind of fell apart. It, and I remember the the Bills game. Actually, it might even been last year that I'm thinking of where the Steelers started 10-0, and and then the Bills came in, and they just put everybody up at the line of scrimmage, said, you're not going to beat us deep, Ben. And, it's in, and ever since then, it kind of seems like the Steelers are running the same problems. You know, Najee gets to the point of the season where you're beat down, and he's not even a guy that is going to break big long runs either. So that doesn't really help with that yards per carry. It's not like a Miles Sanders that's going to rip off a 65-yarder. So it's just a perfect storm between the offensive line, between Ben Roethlisberger's inability to stretch anything vertically, and just Najee not being that type of home run hitter. And I'm, I'm sure it was strictly by circumstance that you referenced a game against the Bills that was the undoing of the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> what well, kind of the was Bills, because the Bills punched were, a hole in this. But they they were they were like ten and zero or eleven and zero going into that game, and then afterwards it was like yeah. they lost like five of their last seven or something like that. And just completely unraveled too. It wasn't like yes. they they yeah. they eked by to some losses. So, I guess. Moving on, uh, it, it feels like we're in Bimageddon 2.0 this week. Uh, you know, obviously not as many as, as a few weeks back. Uh, I think it was week seven that was just horrible for everybody. Yeah. Uh, but people seem to be up in arms about bye weeks running this deep into the season. What's your take on it? And, like, can fantasies get through it? Or can fantasy players get through all, all of this? Well, I don't think you should be starting your playoffs this week outside of, you know, SFB. I feel like that's maybe a little bit of a different circumstance because there is kind of some triggers in there that are built in to help out a little bit. Um, It's one of these that it feels so much bigger because the picture is clear and you know exactly what needs to be done. But is there really a big difference between Jonathan Taylor's by being week 14 of the regular season or week six of the regular season? Um, You know, it's... It's one of these that you could say there might be less options now because of injuries of taking guys out of the pool versus having an early buy. 
we know what the buys are when you draft when you draft it's not yeah. like they're springing them up like you're not getting through september and then all of a sudden oh my god jonathan taylor's buy is in week 14 um but i do think that we kind of have a tendency and especially when i draft i don't think about buys um i'm just trying to build a cohesive team and looking for upside so there is some things that week seven was much worse for me personally yes. just uh getting wiped entire teams wiped out whereas right now unfortunately i don't have that much jonathan taylor on my rosters but other than that losing jalen waddle is not great but it is what it is well it sounds the first part of that sounds to me like you're telling our listeners to just be better early in the season run up a big run up a big advantage and then you don't have to worry about bye weeks at, at the end well, but the reality of it is, is you've gotten a benefit off that buy, but oh, by yeah. not having it to this point. And, and I think that people don't factor that in of saying like, well, I'm going to lose the last week of the season now. And it's like, well, you probably won other weeks because you're going to lose now. It's yeah, it's that give and pull. <laughs> yeah. A little yen, a little yang. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. You, you, you mentioned the, the format in Scott Fishbowl, um, which is it's something to be um uh to be modeled after right the, the way that they're pulling in the average productivity from players that um are are you know out this week on by on on my end i actually i have a ton of teams that have been hit by this week 14 by and it's actually a bit of my own doing i like to generally target later buys because by the time the buy comes up i have a bit more information about or at least as it's approaching a bit more information about kind of the makeup of my team. And um, more often than not, I'm a huge fan of trying to do the old okie doke where I trade a player who has yet to have a buy for a player who already has. And it seems like these ones that are further back into the season just go a little bit further off the radar. Uh, But obviously wasn't successful in trading all of them away. So I'm navigating those waters a bit myself. And Jeff, for people who are navigating those waters uh, themselves, you know, the, the bye weeks, all the injury and, and COVID news. Um, are there any kind of fringy guys that otherwise you might wouldn't consider, but are now kind of on the radar as a borderline flex play with, with all of the dynamic nature of player availability in week 14? Yeah. I mentioned KJ Osborne. He kind of was quiet for a while and then, Thielen got hurt last week and he kind of stepped in and had a a pretty big game. Um, Another guy that I'm thinking of is Jalen Guyton. So I'm monitoring that situation with the chargers because I know Keenan Allen had the positive COVID test. And right now Mike Williams is a proximity question mark, but he needs to test negative late in the week. And the Chargers could find themselves in in an instance where Jalen Guyton is their clear number one wide receiver this late in the season. You know, he had a touchdown last week and he's showing that big playability. Um, and then another guy that, gosh, I don't even know what to think about it because it just feels so wrong. But Laquan Treadwell has, like, the last two weeks has, like, he's really started to take snap share and target share in Jacksonville. And Jacksonville is an absolute mess, but it just feels like the type of thing where one the messes all combine and you end up with Laquan Treadwell being the second half of the season ends up as a fringe flex play. He's actually uh, one of those dart throws that has started to come on for me lately in that dynasty setup that I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago. And being that you do have this level of expertise in the Devi and in the dynasty game, um, would would love to maybe double click on your thoughts on the Chargers situation, right? Let's say we end up in a world where both Allen and Williams are ruled out. Um, you know, which of of the two primary uh, options there between Guyton and Palmer do you think is is go. potentially the better play? Go Mean Green. I go Guyton all the way on yes. that, just because he's he's emerged as the third wide receiver. We've seen him on the field with the other two guys. Justin Herbert seems to have a level of comfort with him. He's made big plays in the past before with Herbert. So that's where I, I land. I wonder, I would think that they might get the tight end involved a little bit more. I just, I just want the Donald Parham breakout to happen. <laughs> like desperately. I just, I, he's a great story. He's a great athlete. It's one of these that 
Like, please just make this guy be a thing because that would be so much fun. Yeah, I know there was there was a, a bit of hype uh, around Palmer uh, in the preseason when when cutdowns were made. His name is missing me. I would imagine you'll fire him off immediately. But the Chargers waived a wide receiver. I think he ended up in Jacksonville for a minute. Um, and they then waived Colin Johnson. But uh, a, a lot of people were looking at that as kind of a sign of things to come for for Palmer's outlook. Um, who's the Who's the player that I'm looking for? Tyron Johnson. Yes, that's exactly who it was. Um, and it looks like, you know, the I guess kind of that hype was a bit misplaced, at least in the 2021 season. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see if maybe with a bit more consistent run this week, if if Palmer starts to to come on. But ultimately, I, I think Guyton is the play out of the two in, in, in a vacuum this week. Yeah, I think Palmer, he was he didn't really do much at Tennessee. And so he was kind of an athlete project pick. And so they took him really early. And I think that's what has put him. Everybody's hoping that it, it hits. But I don't know. We'll see. Well, Jeff, as we as we round out the fantasy season, sadly, we head right into dynasty startup season. Uh, any advice for players wanting to give dynasty a try or up their off game, up their game this off season? Just I'm do it. Right. You, you know, just do it. I think that it's one of these that if you've never done it before, anytime that we want to try something new in life that there can, you could be nervous about it. And especially something that you feel comfortable playing fantasy football. You feel like you've got a good handle on it to step into a new area can be a little bit scary because we get comfort comfortable in our bubbles. And, and I think that that's just human nature but just try it. And, and, you know, like I said, I, I shared the story earlier where I did my draft and I didn't love how it turned out. And one of the fun things with dynasty now, certainly you're going to be giving up a year of your league entry fee, but at the same time, you can aggressively move your team in multiple different directions. And so, and finding that give and take within your league, it's just, it's chess versus checkers. I, I feel like in my mind, because you've got people are dedicating their actions. They're going to decide I'm going to rebuild here. And that makes a great trade partner for somebody that wants to win right now. Whereas in a redraft league, I feel like I struggle to get a lot of trades done because nobody wants to lose the trade. And it's just one of these that we're, we kind of have the same goals and the same outlook. And we kind of think about building the, the team, the same direction. So that's where dynasty is a lot of fun because it just the difference in how you're going to take your team opens up trades. It opens up just different ideas that you can take. Yeah. I think dynasty is probably my favorite just because, you know, in a lot of times this, the trash talking is, is that much sweeter because you've got a guy that you drafted as a joke, you know, three years ago, that's now, you know, WR one and, you know, everybody's laughing at you and, or, you know, they hate you because you're overall number one pick. And, you know, it's just, it's just fun. I, I love dynasty more than, more than the redrafts, uh, you know, especially inheriting a team that's terrible and trying to like, Oh, immediately enter into rebuild mode. Uh, just to, to watch it kind of grow over the years is, is fun. Yeah, I, I did took yeah, it over an orphan for the first time this year, and I it's like similar experience where I was like, I I don't think this team's gonna be any good, and so yeah. this summer like I was trading like my running backs off, and I had decent receivers, and now I'm like ten and ten and four, like ten and three sitting there in the playoffs, and I was like, well, I really wish I still had James Conner on this team right now, but I've got this draft pick instead. Yep. Yeah, Jeff. What I what I liked about your your sentiment was the idea of 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 just diving in and, and giving it a whirl. Um, the the dynasty team that I've mentioned a few times here, uh, we did our startup at at the very end of last regular season, and I mean like the season ended on Monday and we were drafting on Wednesday. Um, I miss and- fantasy football. Yeah, exactly. Um, Not surprisingly, a bunch of fantasy football content creators that were already going through withdrawal 
or like we need to start <laughs> something. And so, you know, being relatively new to the dynasty game, not only am I diving right in, but I am a fish among sharks, right? This is a league with G-Men J and Troy King and Cooter Doodle and all these industry experts, a lot of which played in the charity league last year. Um, and where I've struggled, I would love to get your thoughts is, is, you know, really getting a good gauge on uh, the value of assets in, in dynasty, right? There have been a number of times where I'm trying to shop around a player or acquire a pick and I'm getting laughed out of the room. And then with another team, it's snap accepted, right? Um, so I'm still trying to kind of calibrate the the trade value and how that that changes in, in the dynasty setting. I don't know if you have maybe any guidance or, or tips there. Dynasty trade calculator or um, keep trade cut, use those type of things just kind of as double checks. I think that it's, there's always going to be differences in values and and the way that just people value picks versus players and that's a lot of the fun in dynasty of and you'll even see it as you get into more leagues because these things are addictive and we end up in too many of them i think i'm in 15 right now and so you, you just but you just see how one league values draft picks whereas another league might value proven production more and it just kind of the like leagues are their own ecosystems almost. And it's one of these that it's, I might be this type of player in that league, but this league skews this way. So I kind of play that way. Uh, and so I don't blame you. It's hard because you don't want to, you don't live with it forever. It's dynasty. You know, you make <laughs> yeah. the trade and, and could have gotten more. And I think we always ask those questions of ourselves whenever a trade is quickly accepted. Oh but, man. Yeah. Facing, facing <laughs> a snap accept. It's like, Okay. Yeah. I yeah. Even what though I'm happy do? with that offer, I clearly <laughs> overpaid for this. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no, you just uh, gotta be happy with the your yeah, I mean, offer those, though. And... Those are yeah. If that's, if it's that, that's uh... exactly it. Yeah. Perfect. So carrying on, we do have some questions that came in from uh, from Twitter and from followers of the show. Our first one, JP has a start sit question in a half point PPR. They're deciding between Crowder MVS and Dontrell Hilliard in week 14. Well, I would go with Dontrell Hilliard. I think that you can get a little bit more consistent, predictable production so far. He's got a question there on, on Jeremy Nichols and it's just one of these that Jeremy Nichols played that key role for so long, but Hilliard has looked better than I think the, McNichols did so whether or not Houston or whether or not the Tennessee is going to phase McNichols back in or just keep rolling with Hilliard I think is a fair open question his first week back from injury I feel a little bit more comfortable with Hilliard and just these wide receivers are a little bit more boom bust makes a lot of sense I guess being that it is uh, McNichols first week back from injury is he potentially one of those kind of back of the bench flyers that you can go out and you know get for free essentially right now? Um, or do you think that uh, the combination of Foreman and Hilliard have firmly passed him by on this depth chart? I'd grab him just in case because, yeah, it could be. You know, Hilliard might be just a couple-week fill-in, and we've seen that before where we think that this guy's going to take a job. It's like Khalil Herbert in Chicago when he had a couple good games and we were kind of like, wow, is this, he going to make this a committee now? And and then it kind of turned out like, nah, it's just David Montgomery's job again. They liked McNichols before, but I do think that Hilliard has shown better performance than anything that McNichols showed up to this point. But I don't blame you grabbing him if you've got Uh, next, we've got a question from G. He wants to know, would you drop Rashad Bateman to pick up Russell Gage or KJ Osborne? Or is Bateman's rest of season outlook better? Wow. Um, <laughs> I didn't think we'd, I didn't think we'd get here with Rashad Bateman, especially considering Russell Gage. But yeah, I think rest of season, from what we've seen from Gage right now, I'd rather have Gage than Bateman. 
Uh, I think it's pretty comfortable. That doesn't seem like Calvin Ridley is going to be back this season. And I think defenses right now are really focusing on beat on stopping Kyle Pitts. I don't think Kyle Pitts is the type of player yet that he's able to beat that. And so Russell Gage has been getting lighter attention and Matt Ryan's been going to him over and over again. I just think Bateman, I'm not in the Rashad Bateman wide receiver one season group um, quite so yeah. much because <laughs> Hollywood Brown's pretty good and Mark Andrews is pretty good and the Ravens passing offense is pretty me- mediocre. So it's one of these that Bateman just kind of feels like a low ceiling play and, and maybe Russell Gage's as well. But I think that you're going to get more consistent production from Gage. So sticking with, with Russell Gage, with him coming on late uh, of late, are these numbers based on on blowouts or are these signs to come for for what we can look forward to from from gage i would lean more towards lack of other targets and blowouts if calvin ridley comes back it's going to be very clearly calvin ridley and kyle pitts and i think that russell gage is going to kind of fall into that where we thought he would be a guy that maybe catches four or five balls, maybe he gets 30 to 45 yards. He gets you nine to 11 PPR points. And it's just, he's not dropping 25 point games. Now as, as a, as a one-off, you mentioned Calvin Ridley and without speculating too much on personal issues and, and why he's doing this, do you think he's going to come back and be happy in Atlanta? Man, I don't know. I, I thought about that this week of like, is there a chance that this is just the situations played out for him? I know that he was very close with Julio Jones, you know, being both being Alabama yeah. guys and him leaving, I'm sure kind of shook him a little bit there. I don't know. Atlanta seems to be full scale rebuild in yeah. whether or not Matt Ryan is going to even be the quarterback. I think salary cap wise, they're almost locked into him next year, but you know, they might move him to a contender the year after that, and and that might be all the way down. And Ridley's a guy that he's a little bit older, I feel like, than people realize because he's 26. You know, he's not. Yeah. I feel like we kind of feel like he's that 23, 24 year old, but you know, he's 26 already. So um, I sure hope he's back and able to feel comfortable and, and get everything figured out. Me too. Yeah, the... He's one of my keepers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the uh the the funny thing with with Ridley, I think part of the reason why the the sentiment is that he's younger than he actually is is he's kind of been the rising star behind Julio forever, yeah. right? Um yeah. but forever has been several seasons. So um you know, That's... makes makes sense he's a bit older than than we might think and at least in terms of his uh kind of redraft outlook I I would put his likelihood of returning this year as as next to nil, right? Like yeah. when when they put him on that NFI list, that was all the indicator you need that he was very unlikely to return this year. So certainly yeah. something to watch. And obviously we wish him well as he works on himself and his mentals with this time off. Uh kind of jumping back into the here and now, uh we've we've got another question. I always appreciate it when people uh, take take the other side of the question. So as opposed to who to start, <laughs> uh, we've got someone who's looking to know who to bench out of Michael Gallup, Van Jefferson, and Chuba Hubbard. Oh, I think Chuba's the bench here. Um, you know, Gallup, we saw the touchdown last week. Van Jefferson really has been coming on in that Rams offense. So I think he's kind of solidified himself in that Robert Woods role almost, whereas Brandon, um, Odell Beckham has been more the vertical big play threat. So I'd feel comfortable with Fan. Chuba, I'm I'm one of the ones that I think Amir Abdullah is going to get passing game work, and I don't even know out of these backs how much passing game work there really is. And so you're looking at a committee, again, with Ab- Abdullah, with Chuba, and with Cam Newton. I just think that you got a lot higher ceiling with the other guys. Yeah, I would, I would tend to agree. And, you know, people got several, you know, uh, uh, viable weeks out of, out of Chuba Hubbard earlier in the year. But, um, you know, if, if you take a look at how Damian Harris's outlook changed once Cam was released from New England, I think that tells you all you really need to know about 
his impact on on Hubbard uh, when when they come off their bye here in this week. Um, we've got a, another one that that's following up from Elena. Uh, another long list of of players. Um, she's looking for two out of this group in a half point PPR. Uh, David Montgomery, whose entire body is uh, apparently hurt. Kareem Hunt, Ceh, uh, and then she's also got the Zeke and Pollard combo. Hmm. Um, so how how are you dicing up that group, Jeff? So, yeah, Montgomery's banged up, but if he's if he's playing, I feel like I still defer to him because it's he's just the bell cow in that backfield. Cream Hunt, we haven't really seen production since he's come back from the injury yet. Zeke makes me very, very nervous to put, go back and put him in the lineup after the, the Thursday night game from last week, whereas that brings you down to Pollard, CEH. Pollard, I think that we're pretty clear on the type of Pollard player Pollard is, that he's going to get 50-50 work share is the best we can hope for, but he's capable of breaking a big play. Yeah. Well, CH is a CH. It's, it's one of these that what do you need this week on your team? You know, do you need the guy that's going to get you 10 to 12 to 13 PPR points? Because then I play CH. Do you need a guy that might randomly drop a 20 point game? Because then I go with Tony Pollard. Yep. I, I feel like whoever you don't get is going to have three touchdowns and yeah so yeah <laughs> welcome to playing fantasy football yeah. <laughs> whatever we say do the opposite yeah pretty much <laughs> uh well okay so jay salas wants to know uh does hasty have any chance at playing this weekend yeah absolutely I, it seems like he's the only healthy back so yeah <laughs> You know, whether or not Mitchell can go and seems like Wilson's banged up and it could be the, the Michael Hasty show out of the out of nowhere. So kind of keeping in in the backfield of San Francisco, we've, we've talked about the San Francisco backfield. It seems like almost every week this this season. Uh, what do you make of the their backfield for the rest of the season? Is this the Eli Mitchell show or do we have Hasty Wilson, et cetera, going forward? Well, it's the Mitchell show and the Debo show, uh, whether or not Debo's able to come back, because it does kind of feel like Debo's taking that. It's almost like he's taking that third down back role in the offense, whereas Mitchell has been the bell cow to take a lot of carries, you know, 20 to 25 carries. Then Debo gets his seven to eight carries, and there's not really anything left for one of these other backs. You'd love to see Debo have that role. Hopefully he's back healthy and still continue to get some passing game work because it does seem like once he took that backfield role, his passing game work dro- dropped off dramatically. And then Brandon Ayuk was able to step in a little bit. And we saw this past week in George Kittle coming back. Yeah. <clears throat> well, uh, Jeff, that's about all the questions that we have from our listeners tonight, but uh this is usually where we give time back to you uh, and let you give any anybody or anything a shout out that you want to and, and let the listeners know where they can find you on the interwebs and how to get in contact with you. Yeah, so I, I just want to take a moment to say thank you guys for having me on here and thank you for involving me in the Pros with Joe's event. Um, it's just, it was an honor to be on the Zoom call and talk to people that I've you know, dream of get opportunities to talk to and and do a live draft with. And so that was a fantastic experience. Just the fundraising element has been fantastic. I was able to help out Dave Kluge with his Movember potathon that he did last weekend. That last week, that's why I have a mustache now instead of my beard. Um, Hey, I love it. You know, and and just thank you for doing those things. And if I want to shout out anybody, it would be you guys for doing that. and you can find me on Twitter for whom J Bell tolls. You can find me with Fantasy Pros. You can find me with Coming Off the Edge Tuesday nights at seven o'clock, streamed on Twitter and YouTube, and then also the Devi Royale Tuesday nights at seven or at nine thirty on YouTube and on Twitter. Man, so a couple things of of note. 
to this day, I use your Twitter Twitter handle as uh, the standard bearer for doing it right. I, I absolutely love your handle. And I, I can certainly appreciate that a week or so into December, um, you're still rocking the stash. Maybe maybe you're a mustache guy now. Um, well, so man, another I'll, another I'll bit of good bit, <laughs> coming coming out of uh, the the charitable works there, and uh, uh, we had Dave on a few weeks ago and got to talk a little bit about Movember and, and what they're doing over there. So definitely appreciate your support and your participation in the league this year. And for everyone out there, uh, if you want to find out a little bit more about what we're doing, the ways that we go about raising money and supporting all of the causes that our pros are playing for. Um, if you want to get involved or even potentially consider contributing to those causes, you can find us on Twitter at pros with Joe's. We can head to our website directly proswithjoes.com. There you'll see a direct link to our donor center where we are still raising money. That pot will uh, continue to grow and potentially fingers crossed, Jeff uh, be in play for Jeff and his charity as he presumably makes a deep playoff run here. So uh, anyone out there that is feeling so inclined, please do check us out, Pros with Joes or proswithjoes.com. In terms of the podcast, we are thrilled to be part of the Dr. Roto Network. So you can simply find our work there at drroto.com, or you can search Pros with Joes or Dr. Roto Network in any and every place where you get your podcasts. While you're there, scroll on down, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, maybe throw a few stars or a review our way. It really does go a long way in helping spread the word and uh, how many people are able to hear about and potentially contribute to the work that we're doing. So uh, again, uh, search for Pros with Joes or simply subscribe to the Dr. Roto Network. And with that, we will see you all in week 15.